But tonight I believe I've got something from God that I think is going to touch everyone's life. As we conclude this month, talking about end times and uh, future events. The Lord talks about this uh, extensively throughout the scriptures. Over 41 times in the New Testament, the Lord references that um, the rapture of the church. Many references to his coming again beyond that. And God has done some wonderful things to tell us. They say, of course, we heard recently that, that uh, one-fourth of the Bible is prophetic in nature. Before God ends the Old Testament, he ends it with the major prophets and the minor prophets. And much of those telling things are going to happen in the future. Good God doesn't mind telling what's going to happen in the future. He already knows. He doesn't see things through yesterday, today, and forever. He sees it all at the same time. He knows what happened yesterday. He knows what's happened tomorrow better than you can remember what happened five minutes ago. That's, who we, that's the God we serve, and he puts it in print. Doesn't mind telling us about that. Now, I can't tell you I understand everything I need to understand about the Bible and about future events, and if you understand all of it, maybe we can take time to listen to you sometime. But most of us, we, we're learning pit, bits and pieces and trying to put, put some things together, connect some dots about end times. But I love... And by the way, it doesn't, you don't have to be a mighty Christian to know something about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church at Thessalonica, the Apostle Paul was there for less than a month, three Sabbath days. And while he was there, he indoctrinated them on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they had questions about that. And he wrote them back the book of 1 Thessalonians, five short chapters in our Bible, every one of the chapters ending with a reference to the coming of Jesus. And he wanted us to live with that understanding that Jesus could come at any time. Well, in the book of Titus, we see um, the words that are used most often for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ biblically is not the word rapture, it's the blessed hope. And we see that in this passage of Scripture. We're, we're going to refer to that in a moment. I'm going to give you just a real quick recap of future events. And we'll conclude tonight. But I want to go through this chapter because it deals with everyone in this room. Older men, older ladies. Younger ladies and younger men. All of us fit in one of those four categories right there. And so he just doesn't, he doesn't mess around. And he, remember, he's teaching and talking to Titus. Now, there's, two, uh, there's three pastoral books. Two of them are written to Timothy, and this one's written to Titus. Timothy, only my opinion is that both of these guys had Greek fathers. And, uh, but Timothy seemed to be a little bit more of a follower, more, more comfortable in a servant role, helping his pastor rather than being a point man in charge of something. I think Titus was the opposite of that. Titus would be more like a bull in a china closet. He was a fellow that was strong. Matter of fact, we see him popping up at the church at Corinth. Now, the church at Corinth wasn't a walk in the park. That was some challenging uh, uh, personalities in that church. But when Paul wanted them to give and participate in the project to go help the saints in Jerusalem, he sent Titus. Because I think he, he could figure some things out up there. And he would motivate them, challenge them. He wouldn't put up with a lot of junk. And his, his life here, when he receives this letter from Paul, he is on the Isle of Crete. And the Isle of Crete it was known as a bunch of slow bellies, 
liars, even their own poets tell everybody, there's a bunch, everybody just lies there. They love to deceive you. It's just that he said, that's where you need to stay, Titus. Stay right there on that island of Crete. You set in order the things that are lacking and ordain elders in every church. And he challenged that. But in chapter 2, he tells Titus some very good information that is very applicable almost 2,000 years later to this very moment with this audience tonight. I need to ask you, if you would please, not to talk to one another. Get your head up and let's get our Bibles open. And let's look at chapter 2 and we're going to go through this. If you want to talk or you want to goof around with somebody, just go ahead and step up and get out and stay out until we get done. And if you come back in, sit in the back, okay? But let's, let's all give attention to this, not because of me, good night in the morning. Uh, I'm just another beggar telling someone else where he found some bread, okay? But let's look and see what the Bible says and make application to it. I think you'll see it lie, loud, live, and clear right from the pages of the Bible this evening. Begin at verse number 1, would you please? Titus chapter 2, verse number 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine. So, once again, sound means clean or hygiene. That is kind of what the word comes from. The word sound means clean doctrine. Not, not tainted with, with your opinion or my opinion. Just pure. How many like pure things? If you could have imitation honey or pure honey, which would you like? Yeah. If you could go, if you can get, they can give you syrup for your pancakes, and you have imitation syrup or pure maple syrup, I, I think most of us would know we're going on that. If you could have Tylenol or Equate, you'd probably rather have Tylenol. If you could have Pepsi or Sam's Choice, you'd probably want Pepsi. You know, you're not interested in the, in the knockoffs. Well, he said, look, keep sound doctrine. I want you to, this is, this is sound doctrine. Sometimes people say, oh, no, doctrine, that's the deity of Christ, the, the virgin birth. That's salvation by grace, that's eternal. And yes, you're exactly right about that. But doctrine is not just the deep theological, it's the everyday practical. It's practically thing. Here he says, now I want to talk to you about some things that are sound, clean ways to, to live. And when your pastor or your Sunday school teacher, your mom and dad get up and say, listen, I, I want you to, to listen and not to talk. That's doctrine. If he tells you, I want you to realize who you are as a young man in this society, and I want you to live in such a way that you guard, you're, you're careful with your speech, you're thoughtful in your, in your decisions, you're sober-minded, they're giving you sound doctrine. When he tells an older man to be, so, to be, uh, to be sound in faith, sometimes men get older and they stop being faithful. They think they don't have to do what they used to do. And sometimes you can't physically do it. But oftentimes they've, they've got an idea that they're, now that they're older, we can just, I've been there, done that, I bought lots of t-shirts, and I'm just going to watch the world go by. And God says, no, no, no. You keep your faith pure. Keep it sound. Keep it right uh, in, in, in your older years. Let's look and see what he says as to sound doctrine. Look at verse number two. The aged men, the older men, be sober. That means understand your purpose. You'll see sobriety many times. Someone who is sober is someone who has purpose. If someone is drunk, you can tell because they're all over the place. They, they can't walk straight. That's one of the ways that the, the highway patrolman can find out if they're, if they're drunk. They ask them to walk a straight line. They can't because they're all over the place. He says, if you're, if you're an aged man, I want you to be sober. That means sincerely understanding your purpose and trying to live it out. You know, you say, Pastor, what's the big deal about purpose? 
You know, the Bible says that God wants all, he can make all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And purpose, God has a, he has a purpose for you. He's got, a, he's got something he wants you to do. You're very unique. I'm very unique. I'm not like anybody else. You're not like anyone else. But God has put us on this planet at this location. And by the way, it'd be a good idea if you and I would get really happy with where God put us. Quit wanting to be somewhere else. Quit looking over the fence, seeing green grass. It's over a septic tank, fella. You, don't, you, don't, you need to be content with such things as you have. And say, you know what, this is where God has me. And I am going to try to be as faithful as I can with what God's given me to do, with the funds I have, with the energy I have, with the talents I have for his purpose. He said, hey, when you're older, still realize you've got a purpose. Older men, it's not time just to watch the world go by. We need you. If you can get to that men's meeting on Saturday morning, I hope you can be there. Say, so, Pastor, I've already raised my family. I've already been a husband of my wife for so many years. There's still things you can learn, Spanky. And your presence and your participation can be very helpful to those around you. He said, once you realize you've got a purpose, you matter as older men, so, sober, gray, down to earth, or, you know, they're not high and lofty, temperate. It means they, they're controlled in their, in their temper and things of that nature. Sound in faith, they still are faithful. In charity, they have a deep love. Every older man ought to have a greater capacity to love than younger men do. You've been through more. You've got to figure out something. You ought to, you ought to be, and if there's a lack of love in the Wilkerson home, I, you're looking at the problem. God tells older men, he tells men, husbands, love. But as we get older, he said, I want you to be known for your charity. Charity. Look at the next word, if we can, please. In patience. How many, as you get older, you get less and less patient? That's why we got to get to God, so he can create that patience with our society. Now he says, verse number three, the aged women, older ladies. Aged women, likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Older girls, he says, I want you to have a holy life. And that's a good example. As you get older, ladies, we need your example. We need you to elevate your holiness, not, not decrease it. We need to understand your purposes. Look at the next thing. It says, he says, I want you to, to have a life that becometh holiness. Not false accusers. Not running your mouth and giving critical opinions that are not necessarily true. You don't know they're true. Not given to much wine. That means not addicted. Free from addictions. That they may teach the younger women to be sober and to love their husbands and to love their children. Listen, there's a lot of things that a, a pastor might feel that uh, I could do. But you know, the truth of the matter is, there's a lot of things you precious older ladies. If you will generate a relationship with the younger ladies, you can speak into their heart. I was talking uh, recently to someone, and I wanted, I do not want to close their identity, but I was talking to them, and, and they were struggling. It was a lady. She's really struggling about numbers of things, discontentment, not happy, have a, have a new place to live. No, I don't like this house. This is too much trouble. This is over this, and there's that. It's not anyone you know. If you think you know what I'm talking about, so it's not them. It's another person. But... But I will tell you this, and, and, and I said to the dear husband, I said, could you tell me someone that can speak into the heart 
of, of, your, of your wife and this precious lady. She's going through a difficult time. She's not a bad lady. She's a godly lady, but she's in a bad way. And I can talk to her as a man, as a pastor, but you know what she really needs? Someone who's older. An older lady who would be godly, holy, exactly the criteria that we've got here, that has built a relationship. You know, rules and instruction without a relationship oftentimes lead to frustration and rebellion. But whenever we build a relationship with someone, and you can, girls, you can get older and say, well, these young girls, they just don't care right now. I can't believe the way they dress. You know, but you know what they might need? They might need you, spirit-filled you, loving, pouring love into them. Well, if you're going to have to take deposits, or you're going to take uh, withdrawals out, you've got to put deposits in. I think it's very important. He said, I want you to aged women. I want you to have a life that's so holy, people trust you. I want you to understand your sobriety and your importance. I want you to make sure you're free from addictions. And then I want you to make sure that you teach the younger women to be good at being a wife and good at being a mama, to love their husbands and to love their children. And you know what, girls? Your, your, your sermons whisper, but your life shouts. And, and we need to be able to be able to see, and the girls need to be able to see, you know, that girl genuinely is a sweet, responsive, respectful wife. That girl is a godly mother. She loves her kids. And they, then they'll take it from us. Look at the next thing. So we talked about the older men, now the, old, the older ladies. Now look, if we can, please, at number five. He says, I teach the younger ladies to love their children, to love their husbands. The love here is not the same love that is mentioned in other passages of Scripture in the same way. Uh, a, a lady desperately longs to be understood. That is one of the things that every wife longs, and, and we men are not really good at trying to figure that out. We might know what to do, we might know what to do, but we oftentimes don't give time it takes to understand them. A lady wants to know two things desperately. Do I matter, and am I going to be okay? Significance and security. And the key to all three of those needs is love. Husbands need to love your wives. That's why God tells it over and over again. If she doesn't feel that love, then she's going to find insecurities are going to resurface in her heart, which will rob her of power to do what she should do, to love as she should love, and to think like she wants to think. These are things that God's commanded. But he said also, I want the older women to teach the younger women to be good in your domestic responsibilities as a wife and as a mother, to love your husband, to respond respectfully to him, and to care for your children. Look at the next thing real quickly in verse number five, that a lady, a younger lady, should be discreet. It means careful and chaste. It means pure. Sometimes I don't know exactly why this is, but there's some precious girls, and I think they love the Lord, but they're not thinking about purity in their attire, in their dress, in their conduct, in their post, on social media. They're not thinking about that. And I think it's a problem. These are things that God says, young ladies, be a good wife. And by the way, girls, if you are a wife, you are representing your husband. And you're representing, what you say on Facebook is, is a reflection of him. 
How you dress and what you post and, and what you put on, it's a reflection of him. He said, you're going to show respect and, and reverence to him. It, you need to be careful that you're discreet. You're careful with your words. You're careful with your conduct. That's what discretion means. And you're chaste. You're pure. Pure in your motives, pure in your, mo- your, 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 your morals. And look, uh, motives, I don't know exactly why some of, uh, of, our, of our young ladies tend to push the envelope in regards to dress standards. Sometimes it's older folks, but most of the time it's younger. It's a, youth, it's a youthful lust. But here he says, be chaste in your conversation, in your dress standards. I believe it's, that's what chaste means. If you can find out it means something else, let me know. But I think it means that. And I think it, these are things that we can be instructed about. And you know why? If you don't understand the whys, I feel like you can go. There's enough ladies in this room that should be able to take a Bible and, and be able to show you why we do like we do. And I think it's good for you to interest yourselves in that. But discreet, chase. Notice the next thing the Bible says, keepers at home. Taking care of the house. Usually, ladies, uh, uh, matters to a lot to ladies where she lives and who she lives with. It. She's domestic. That's how God made most ladies. And there may be a few exceptions where a lady may not be, that may not gravitate to that. But if you are a wife and you are a mother, your home is very important and your husband should like to live there. But you need to keep your home. You need to keep it and, and try to organize it and not be lazy, not be irresponsible. And there, there, there are many of you, you're, you're working secular jobs, and there's where the husband needs to step in and be a help and a blessing. But the truth of the matter is, uh, that home is something God says, I want you to take care of it. I want you to keep it. I want you to take care of it. And once again, if you see God telling us something else, please feel free to contact me and accept, help me with this. But I think it's as black and white as you can have. And I, and I don't think you have to compare yourself to other people. There are some of you, you're, you, you, you're on a learning curve. Your folks, your mama didn't explain to you how to do that, and you're on a learning curve. Listen, you can't make a new beginning, but you can make a new ending. And you don't have to compare yourself among yourself. That's foolish. Now, you may not be able to keep a house like someone else, and you don't have the same gift mix that person has. But we can be clean. We can, we can be organized. We can ask the Lord to help us in areas that we struggle in. Look, if you would please, the next one, if we can, please. The Bible tells us, and obedient to their own husbands, that would be submission, that the word of God be not blasphemed. You know, it's interesting. There's two times uh, that I can think of. There's probably more times of this. But whenever lazy employees work around and for unsaved bosses, when people who are not responsive, and he'll go to this in just a moment, but whenever we're not good at work in the workplace, where we spend most of our adult life with, with work, when we're not good ref, uh, reflections of Jesus at work, work hard, on time, don't purloin or steal from our boss, we give it the best we're there. We want, if God blessed Joseph, Egypt because of Joseph, he ought to bless my, my workplace because of me. A failure of time management and using our time wisely thinking about the bottom line for our boss, not just our bottom line, not just being, have an angle. He said that when a, when a person does that, whenever God visits that boss or that coworker, if they have had working with someone who's a good coworker, who's a good representation of Jesus, when the word of God comes and the gospel comes to them, they will adorn it. 
That means they'll, they'll, whenever someone offers them salvation later on in their life, and they've worked with you or they've worked with me and they've worked with someone around them, and, and they, they, whenever they're hearing the gospel, they say, oh, my, my co-worker, he used to invite me to church in those Christmas programs, and boy, he was a good worker. We miss him at, at the workplace. And someone gives them a gospel track and begins talking about Christ, maybe a neighbor or a friend. Whenever someone says, man, please take the gospel, he'll say, okay, I'll adorn that. I think I'm ready. I'll accept the Lord. And they'll do it because of a good co-worker or a good employee. However, the turnabout is also true. Whenever someone offers them the gospel of Jesus and they're getting ready to receive it, the devil puts in their mind a negligent, thief, lazy, Christian employee who said they loved Jesus, said they were Christians, invited them to church, but were not good testimonies at the workplace. And I'll say, please take the gospel. And say, yeah, hang on a second. Yeah, I had a guy like that. No, you can keep your gospel, buddy. The same is true in context with a young lady and her behavior in her younger years as a wife and mother. I don't understand this completely. I think it can compare to a little bit or can be related to a little bit to the older ladies too. But if, if we don't follow through in our responsibilities, who is the biggest loser? God. The gospel. You know, you and I are on a, in a glass house. People are watching you, young lady, all the time. You can't just post stuff you want to post and, and no one sees it. You can't just say whatever you want to say or text whatever you want to text. You can't just give your opinion and a false accuser or making your, your opinion known and it not affect not just you and not just the people, the Christian friends, but the gospel of Christ, that the enemies of God will not use it to blaspheme the Lord. Now let's look here at the younger men. There's a lot more verses to them for obvious reasons. Verse number six, young men, likewise, are to be sober-minded. He says, young men, I want you to think thoughtful thoughts. Now, one of the things that young men struggle with is they don't think. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, to all the girls. Amen. Yeah. To all the mothers of teenage boys. <laughs> Park there, circle that bush. The truth of the matter is, he said, I want the young men to be sober-minded. I want you to think, what does God want me to do in my youth? Remember what, what Solomon said at the end of Ecclesiastes? Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. He said, he said well, you're young. He tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's good. And it's a good thing for a man, a young man, to bear his yoke when? In his youth. And it's good to, to start thinking. Don't say, yeah, when I get 30, I'm going to figure it out. No, no, you get it figured out now. When you're 13, when you're 14, when you're 15. And the devil has been very successful. Society has been so successful at just ripping out the masculinity and the, and the responsibility from our young men. They're more concerned about a selfie and a pair of jeans than they understand about their responsibility. They're more, they're, more, they're more concerned about tennis shoes than they are their responsibility. He said, young men, you start thinking and don't wait. 
Don't wait. The, the, the word that we oftentimes use is amusement. That means no think. And man, guys, God bless you. Don't be 20, 30 years old and be good at a video game. Well, I just, I, I beat the friend over in South Dakota. Well, who cares? A couple in Japan, too. Who cares? I mean, I'm not saying there can't be some sort of a diversion, but it's an addiction for many of our young men. And you're putting your ladder up against a building that you don't want to be at the top of. You're going to waste your life and energy doing something that doesn't matter. When you could be given of your life and your talents for, to, to be a blessing. Get out there and mow a lawn, rake the leaves. I'm so glad our teenagers are going to go out this week and do a menial tasks to help and bless other people. That's good. Had a sweet, good young man this week. And I said, you know, I'm glad you're doing some manual labor. He said, why? I don't like it. And I said, it's good for you. It's humbling. It's, it, it gives you time to think. It lets you go to bed tired at night. So you don't have time to play video games and keep going on that? Like, I'm so sorry, I can't even see straight. Yes, that's the... I remember my dad one time, I, I told my dad, it was a summertime, so dad, I'm, I'm just bored. Oh, that was a bad thing to say. <laughs> he called about four widows, and my son will be over directly here to help wash your windows. What, dad? No. And for free. <laughs> what? Man, I never said the bored again in my mind. In my, my mind's eye of my dad. And I was doing all kinds of honeydew lists for every widow in the community. And, but, you know, the truth of the matter is I learned a lot that day. It was good. And, matter of fact, they, a couple of them even compensated me, and I was thankful for that. But, uh, but at the same time, I'm thinking, boy, that's, I need to work. It's good to bear your yoke in your youth. He said, I want you to be sober-minded. Look at the next thing. Be a pattern of good works. That means consistent. You know what young men are? Consistently inconsistent. You want to be consistent. You don't want to be flat the handle. I was, I was uh, watching a group of young men of the day, and boy, a couple of guys just come unglued. One of them quit. In the halftime of a, of a game, they, they just left and went home because they didn't like what was happening. They just walked off. That's so inconsistent. And, and, and be consistent. You pay your bills on time. Make your priorities your, your priorities. Be respectful all the time to everyone your authorities, make your bed, put your shoes out, iron your clothes, just be consistent, not up and down. Be on time for your, for your responsibilities, whether it be work or class. Have some consistency. These are some commands that God gave to young men. He said, I want you to be a pattern. I want you to be an example of good works and doctrine showing incorruptness. Just real quickly here. Oftentimes, Young men make life-altering decisions. They, they, they're know-it-alls. They know everything. They're 23, and, and they're, the, they're just a, a phenom. They've got all the answers to life and living. He said, be sure you're doctrinally sound, because doctrine determines destiny, determines your decisions. And boy, guys get squirrely sometimes. He says, young men especially, don't be afraid just, I like this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 14. If you don't have it underlined, young men, I hope you underline it. I hope you memorize it. Think about it. Where it says, continue thou in the things which you've heard and been assured of, knowing of whom you've heard. Don't, just keep doing what you have been shown to do by people. 
that have done the right thing the right way for the right reason for their whole life. I, I'm not going to do it, but I could have guys stand in this room. I had one guy one time, and I think I told you about this. He said, Pastor, I'm leaving the church. He said, oh, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites in there. A bunch of hypocrites. I don't even know half the people who are in that church are even saved. And uh, he just he said, yeah, bunch of, bunch of. So we're going to go to another church. There won't be any hypocrites there. I said, you'll probably join them and make it a hypocrite. Sure, I didn't want to say that. I didn't say that, but I, I kind of wanted to say it. But I remember standing there with him at that, at that thing. I said, okay, all right, let me just do this. Tell me. And I gave him names of people that I'm looking at today in the auditorium, men and their wives. I said, yeah, tell me, tell me what do you know bad about them. He said, no, 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 that, that, they're, they're, they're good people. I said, well, go ahead. Here's another, here's another couple that comes to my mind. Tell me, tell me all the bad things you know about them. What do you disrespect about them? He goes, no, no. That's another good one you got there. So I guess all of them are hypocrites. I've got five couples. He said, well, not everybody's hypocrite, but most of them are. The truth of the matter is, you and I ought to be the people who are good examples. A pattern of good works. The people look up and say, you know what? That guy loves his wife. That girl shows responsive respect to her husband. Those kids, that young man has got a pattern of good. He is consistent. He's thoughtful. He's careful. Boy, I really like that kid. That's what they ought to say about you, and that's what they ought to say about me. By the way, let's continue if we can. He said, I want you to doctrinal purity, gravity, that means down to earth, sincere. And then verse number eight, read it with me. All the young men, read this one. If you consider yourself young, read it. Ready? Sound speech that cannot be condemned, and he that is of a contrary part may shame, having no evil thing. And boy, uh, nothing quite like young men learning to be sound in speech. Be careful what you say. Older men, the same way. Sometimes we just say some of the most crass things. And I've been guilty of it sometimes. I don't want to say that. I want to, I want to make sure I'm careful with our speech. Sound, make it clean. If you're texting it, make it clean. If you're emailing it, make it clean. If you're saying it, make it clean. Sound means clean. Be sound in speech. Now, let's hasten real quickly to the rest of the passage. I feel like those deal with all of us. Now, he says, verse number 9, exhort servants. These are employees or slaves in, this present time, in the time that Paul wrote this. To be obedient to their own masters or own employers. Be submissive to your boss at work. And to please them well in how many things? Not answering again. Not talking back. It's very common for employees. Now, they have a lot of liberty. And they know, well, you gotta, I'm going to keep my job. I can tell my boss whatever I want to tell him. That should not be the mantra of a Christian. Not answering again, not talking back. Look at the next thing, not talking back. However, he says, I, I'm not purloining. That means don't steal. Every once in a while, a Christian will do gymnastics in their motives and their, and their, and their, and their mindset, psychologically, helping them understand why well, that, the, a company makes enough money. They can, they can give me this, this, this uh, item or this tool. They make plenty of money. They're good. And you take that tool home with you. If you've got tools that belong to your boss, you ought to take them back this week. Put them back at the, at the company toolbox and not out of your toolbox. If your boss gave it to you, that's one thing. If you took it yourself, you ought to do a checkup from the neck up and say, that is forlorning. That's stealing. Don't steal time. Don't steal a paper clip. Don't do the gymnastics of motives and, oh, this is how I really deserve this because I really didn't get paid overtime, so I'm going to take this. It's just, it's all going to come out in the wash. Don't do that. Don't do that. Let's be honest. 
He said, if you're working for someone, not purloining. Look at the next thing it says, but showing good fidelity, good faithfulness, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, the Savior, in all things. And I illustrated that already, that people that worked around you and the people you worked for would adorn the teaching of Christ when it was given to them, they'd put it on too. Verse number 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. I love the grace of God. We heard about it tonight and uh, how, how, great, how great the grace of God is. He said, it brings salvation to everybody. By the way, how many people did the grace of God appear to in this verse? Can you tell me how many? All. And what does all mean? I think all means all, doesn't it? Let's just remind ourselves of that. The grace of God is why we get saved, for by grace are you saved through faith. But after it saves us, verse number 12, it doesn't go to sleep. What does it do? It sets up a classroom in our heart to sanctify us. It teaches us to deny ungodliness and to live soberly and righteously in this present world. To deny, deny ungodliness, and that means to put it to death, and worldly lusts, and live soberly with purpose, and righteous, treat people right, and godly, treat God right, in this present world. Now verse 13, read out loud with me, would you please? Looking for that blessed hope of our great God and our Savior. By the way, our great God is Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Who? What did Jesus do, our great God do? He redeemed us from all iniquity. And aren't you glad you're freed from sin and that you, you have been freed from iniquity and purify himself, a peculiar people. He purchased you. And zealous of good works, this is what our responsibilities are. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Maybe pastor's been a little bit more authoritative tonight, but I'm not doing it on my own ability. Matter of fact, I, I feel like some of this stuff needs to come right back at me. However, I can do this with authority because it doesn't come from me. It's the Lord. It's the Lord's. And let no man despise thee. So if someone gets upset with you about something like this, he said, Nah, don't worry about it. But let me just say verse 13, looking for that blessed hope. That is a reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. I want to just tell you real quickly, what I, in closing tonight, of course the Lord Jesus came the first time. He made the world, went about 4,000 years, and then he came to the earth. Galatians tells us when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. For God so loved the world that he his only begotten son. So the first time Jesus came, he came to his own. But we understand that his own did not receive him. But you and I, who can receive him and believe in him, we can become the sons of God by believing in his name, which are born, not of flesh, not of the blood, not of the will of man, but of God. So the first time Jesus came, he came to his own. He lived here 33 and a half years, um, at 30 years, he began his earthly ministry and focused himself like a, uh, a, to go to the cross to give his life a ransom for many. Then, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus leaves his planet and goes up to heaven. He goes up to heaven. In Acts chapter 2, his spirit comes down from heaven and, and fills his people. That's a, it, the Holy Spirit came on many people in the Old Testament. Now, he can live in you. Aren't you glad for that? That he lives in me, he lives in you. What a comfort to know that. And the Holy Spirit comes in at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Of course, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, grieve not the Holy Spirit. You invited him in. Don't make him comfortable. But the next time, the next thing on God's agenda is he's coming for his own. He came to his own, 
Now he's going to come back for his own. Now that's what we've been talking about in this month. I don't know when the Lord's coming. You don't know where he's coming. But we're supposed to live in light of his coming and anticipation of his coming. Just like maybe a lady who has a, a soldier boy that's been out fighting in wars, and he, she's gone a long time without him. And she can't wait for him to come home. And someone says, how's your, how's your husband? He goes, he's doing, he's, been, he's doing okay. said, well, he's been a long time. Yes, but he's coming home tomorrow. I'm looking forward to him coming home. There's a lot of anticipation. And God wants us not to be fearful, but to be comforted with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the blessed hope, that's when Jesus will come. Now, a lot of things are going to change when Jesus comes. That's whenever he's going to come for his own. Now, he won't come to the earth. We'll meet the Lord in the so shall we ever be. So we'll never be separated from God from that point on. But he comes, he comes for his own. Then there's seven years of tribulation. Seven years of tribulation, and that is in the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 2, through chapter 19, maybe about verse number 9. You'll find here is describing the tribulation period. Now, it's not all chronological, so if you try to study it chronologically, like I'm, I'm saying, if you put some of it maybe in chapter 16 and 17, really could fit in chapter, between chapters 9 and, and 11. So it's not chronological, through there, but it begins to describe what God's going to do to to curtail mankind and this world as we know it. And he's going to bring them down to his funnel of his wrath. There are several things to remember about this, this seven-year period. Number one, you, you're going to, it's going to experience the anger of God. Okay, that's what's going to happen in seven years. This world is going to experience a God who is angry and dealing with them justifiably. Do you think God has a right to be angry? Yes, he does. And he's, he's angry with the wicked all day long. And, and in, 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 the, in, the, in the tribulation period, all of his Christians will be exited. So his anger is going to be put upon mankind. Now, we also know that the tribulation period is not only, uh, it's not only a, a time of anger, it's a time where Antichrist will set up his throne and rule. And so he's going to be the man of peace. It's going to come peace and peace. I think we can see AI, a little bit uh, uh, artificial information in chapter, chapter number, uh, I think it's 13, verse 15 of, uh, of Revelation, where he talks about he gives him a voice and gives him a mind to the beast. And I think that beast could be a form of AI. I'm not sure, but just a thought. But nonetheless, he's going to, he's going to, Antichrist is going to be the one in charge there. You're also going to find that, that, uh, that you're going to have the abomination of desolations take place three and a half years into that, where that Antichrist is going to say, peace, peace, but he's not going to bring peace. He's going to bring a tremendous amount of blasphemy in the temple, setting himself up to be worshipped as God. Another thing you'll find in the tribulation period is an awakening of the Jewish heart. He's going to, I think there's going to be many Jewish people and I think it's one of the reasons God has focused in our generation, the Israel, to come like this and all the stuff coming against them. Now, it's a miracle that Israel is as it is, and every time that's been attacked, God has been very gracious to Israel. But as a nation, generally, they have rejected him. 
They have rejected. We've even heard someone like a, a brother Sexton talk about how he witnessed to this Jews for a long and over and over. Great friendship and relationship, but they just, they just will not accept the Jesus as Messiah. And we have Jewish people in this room who have done that. And I have witnessed to Jews and led them to Christ. But most of the Jews I've witnessed to have not, they're not open to that. But there will be an awakening, I think, in, in, that, um, in the tribulation period. You also are going to have the absence of the church. The church is not going to be here. If you're here during the tribulation, it's because you are not saved. Okay? If Jesus were to come back now, and you're still sitting in church here at 47, 473 Sibley, um, you, you, had a, you had a profession without a possession. You know, I want to make sure you get that settled. I'm not here to be judgmental or be scary. Make sure you're in. Because the moment that Jesus comes back for his own, his church is out of here. That's why you will not find, you find church in, Genesis, in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. You do not find it. Chapter 4, verse 2 through, through 19, because it's not there. The church has been removed from that. And then, of course, you have the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, the Battle of Armageddon, an annihilation of the world as we know it in that seven-year period of time. Then the Lord Jesus comes back the third time not for his saints, not to his own, but he comes with his own. And we believe during that seven-year period of time, there will be, there will be a, um, the, the uh, judgment seat of Christ. This is why what you do now matters, and it will matter there in that time. There will be a marriage supper of the Lamb. I don't know everything about that, but I do know it's a celebration with God. He's our eternal groom. And you and I, his eternal bride, will enjoy a marriage ceremony and a marriage, uh, marriage celebration with the Lord and will be rewarded to the things we've done while in our body. Then the Lord says he's going to come back with his saints. And there's where there's going to be great destruction and then also a beautiful entrance into a thousand-year millennial reign with the Lord. A thousand years. You know, you're going to live in this life maybe 70, 80 years. And if you start living beyond that, you'll kind of like want for heaven. Because it gets really rough in your senior years. You don't believe it? Ask Brother Callie. He complains all the time about it. I'm just joking. No, as you get older, it's just not as easy to, to meander around. But you're going to live somewhere forever with the Lord, if you're saved. And that 70 years, or that 1,000 that year reign, there's something special God has for people who have been faithful with the little things in this world. And this is why I'm so glad you're at church tonight. I'm so glad I get to go to church with you. I'm so glad you went knocking on the door and handed out a gospel track. I'm so glad that you watched a nursery and played in the orchestra that you taught a Sunday school class, that you put gas in your car and drove to Albany Park or New Chicago or Cicero or, or Little Village or South Holland or Harvey or wherever it is that you're getting people. I'm so glad that you, you put on your offer envelope today missions because all that stuff goes into heaven's bank and you'll see it again. I think not only in the, in the millennial period but also for all eternity. It was Jesus who said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, I don't live in heaven yet, but Jesus lives there. And he says, you're going to want money when you're here. You're going to want treasure here. 
So you only have a little parentheses of life to do that. If there's anything about end times and that blessed hope, it should challenge us to live soberly and righteously, abstaining from worldly lust, and, and remembering that he redeemed us. We are a peculiar people. We've been purchased by him, and we should be zealous for good works. Because you want to invest in eternity, you're going to spend the rest of your time there. Let's pray together, can we?